Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining our Executive Perspective series featuring the White House Executive Order and more. Today's session is called Zero Trust and Protecting Data as a Strategic Asset. Our speakers for today are Kent Landfield, Chief Standards and Technology Product Strategist for McAfee Enterprise, and Sadiq Alabdullah, Vice President of Product Management for McAfee Enterprise. At this time, I'd like to pass it off to them. Kent, Sadiq, thank you very much for joining me today. You know, today we're going to be spending some time talking about Section 3 of Executive Order 14028, Modernizing the Nation's Cybersecurity. The section of EO includes requirements for accelerating momentum to secure cloud services, gaining a better understanding of sensitive unclassified data, the implementation of encryption and multi-factor authentication, and lastly, moving towards a zero-trust architecture. Our emphasis today is going to be on data and why data protection should be viewed as subtext and the crux of the entirety of Section 3. After all, data is arguably, arguably the most important government resource other than its people, and improving security should focus on improved data protection. Kent, my first question is for you. As I mentioned in the intro, Section 3 of the executive order appears to be putting a strong emphasis on better data protection by requiring that agencies have a better understanding of their data by identifying both the type and sensitivity of unclassified data. The only specific data control requirement is encryption, though. Do you think data requirements go far enough in this executive order? Why do you think the White House stops short of requiring the implementation of a full data protection platform? Well, thanks for having me today. I guess uh, the real answer here is I think the White House is being realistic. Um, you can't jump to the end without going through processes needed to get the basics in place. And a lot of those basics are actually missing today. Um, things like multi-factor authentication uh, for approving access to that data is something that really needs to be put in place. Passwords are just not something that is uh, very successful in keeping people out with brute force attacks and, and credentials being stolen. While this is requiring agencies to evaluate uh, the types and sensitivity of their unclassed data, uh, this reevaluation is really trying to understand what, what data they have in their agencies are the biggest target and at greatest threat. This will help them to focus their controls and what is really needed to be enhanced. This is not something that has occurred in the past. Um, this is a concerted effort, a directed effort by the EO to enforce this to agencies and report on their findings to OMB. So this is actually something that I think is a major benefit of the EO as organizations really try to get a solid understanding of their data protection needs um, for uh, unclassed data. Um, data encryption is absolutely critical for data at rest and in transit. The EO makes it clear that agencies really need to get that and to implement that so that they have those types of baseline protections in place. Once all are on some sort of consistent baseline, it'll be much easier to implement a data level object security full data protection platform. Yeah, sure. I mean, you can't actually start protecting your data until you have some sense of what your data actually is. Correct. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, so Sadiq, in your role, You've engaged with McAfee customers globally and have evaluated industry trends and challenges. The EO outlines a need for accelerating the adoption of cloud services. How has that increased the demand for better data protection? What are the biggest challenges customers are facing as they attempt to get a better handle on securing their data in a hybrid environment? Jason, I'd say that uh, the adoption of cloud services introduces a level of velocity 
flexibility and power that can dramatically assist agencies in their mission. However, all of those fundamental shifts introduce more risk and more vectors. So while different cloud services in their preparation of federal environments can at an infrastructure or platform level not inherently present a risk, the functionality of those services and how collaboration works and how the enhanced business processes work do open up new vectors. And so you asked, how does it increase the demand for better data protection? Well, as you increase velocity and as you increase collaboration, you inherently increase risk. And so you want to mitigate alongside. Now, your second part of the question was, you know, what are the biggest challenges people are facing as they attempt to get a better handle? You know, it probably starts with uncovered vectors, right? Traditional approaches cover traditional architectures. And the ability to enforce controls can frequently come back to the endpoint or the network or appliances. And not all of them, in in most cases, not any of them translate well into native cloud fabrics. And so as you introduce the new fabrics, you introduce new vectors that also need native controls. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that, you know, when you start you start accelerating the utilization of data too, it becomes a much bigger challenge of actually trying to quantify that data. Absolutely. Um, you know, what, what guidance or best practices can you offer to the government? Because I, as, you, as you've heard, one of the executive order requirements is that they need to do, uh, they need to start identifying both the type and sensitivity of their unclassified data. Are there best practices or, or you know, specific guidance you might offer up as they try to tackle that challenge? Well, I'd say, the first and probably the most significant piece of guidance I give is, is don't look at it as a monolithic project. The worst possible outcome is chartering a massive endeavor, going through classification and in the midst of multi-year project, having a breach. This should be, I would suggest approaching these kinds of initiatives with the same model of agile development that we use in the software industry and the cloud industry. So iterate quickly, start with what you absolutely know, start with a certain type of high risk data that has a certain restricted population and both map that and enforce controls for it while you continue to iterate and do the remainder of the identification, classification, definition of permission, et cetera. I can't tell you how often we've encountered customers that have written a beautiful project plan two years in duration and unfortunately had an incident partway through before they implemented controls. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously that you want to, you want to take your time and do it right, but you know, you want to start with the low hanging fruit, if you will. And uh, what would you consider low hanging fruit? Typically, would it be regulated data? Would it be specific project data? What would be kind of the the easiest data to kind of address first? Well, on, on the unclass side, I I think it would be the highest risk data, which is that which is easily monetized. So large amounts of either personal or financial information about as associated with the agency's mission. Makes sense. Appreciate that. So, hey, Kent, one of the defined requirements in Section 3 is that agencies begin adopting zero trust architecture. You know, there's a great deal of focus and movement around zero trust, not just within the government, but you know, in the in the industry at large. 
What do you see as problems or challenges confronting agencies when it comes to effectively migrating networks to a zero trust architecture? Well, first, education. Um, there's a real educational component needed. While some agencies have been moving in this direction for a while, others are just now seriously looking at it. Uh, the NIST SP 800 207 Zero Trust Architecture document is a year old this month. And the DOD Zero Trust Reference Architecture document was published late last February of this year. Um, there is a good deal of hype around Zero Trust. It needs to be understood that Zero Trust is a security model uh, a set of design principles combined with a coordinated cybersecurity system management strategy, all based on the assumption that your network's already been compromised, the breach has occurred. Um, second, planning. There is a great deal of planning that um, will be needed up front to assure success of the network's migration into a zero trust architecture. It's important to understand what needs to be done in order to have a successful migration. For example, what is the critical data? What are the required workflows? What's the desired outcome? Uh, what analytics are needed uh, for um, better visibility? Uh, how is the granularity of access going to be managed? Uh, how to architect to leverage the infrastructure to allow for rapid response to suspected events? There's a lot of additional questions that need to be uh, addressed by the organizations as part of the planning. And planning upfront is, is critical to the organization's success. Third, cost. The EO makes it clear that the administration wants all agencies to drive towards the use of zero trust. But from a modernization perspective, zero trust is the right way to go, but it will not come cheaply. Uh, Re-engineering an agency uh, to support a zero trust architecture will be expensive and extremely uh, time consuming. And then one of the bigger pieces that I think is most important, but hard sometimes for large organizations to consistently uh, succeed at is the follow-through. Um, zero trust implementations have to be followed through on. You cannot adopt pieces and parts of zero trust principles and expect to get any real value out of uh, the zero trust architectures. Zero trust concepts and principles must be ubiquitous across the entire network. And additionally, the organization itself needs to commit fully from the executive leadership to operations in order to be successful and see the value that was intended by implementing a zero trust architecture in the network. So let's be clear that the EO has set agencies on a five-year journey uh, to adopt zero trust in order to better secure critical data while providing more resilience within federal hybrid architectures, seamlessly integrating both prem and cloud-based capabilities. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're giving them five years. They understand that it's going to be no small feat in doing so. And hopefully the appropriate funding is aligned to uh, and, and resources are aligned to, to aid them, aid them as they as they move forward in that journey. Absolutely. So, so as you know, CISO was tasked by the EO with developing a federal cloud security strategy to steer agency adoption of zero trust. Do you see this as an opportunity for CISO to revisit? the NIST 800-207 and potentially blend that document with the more recent DOD reference architecture that was released earlier this year? Or do you think they're more likely to design that cloud security strategy using 800-207 migration principles? What role should data play in that strategy? Well, first off, I think data should be a central part of that strategy. Um, interestingly, this is occurring at a time when CIS is losing visibility uh, of what is occurring on federal networks as federal computing moves away from the traditional on-prem and more and more to a, a cloud-based approach. 
to address this, CISA, working with OMB and FedRAMP, are developing the cloud security technical reference architecture due August 12th, as you mentioned. It's expected it will address the cloud security migration uh, considerations, as well as address data protection requirements for reporting and visibility. Protecting data is critical, and it needs to be a foundational capability in this uh, cloud reference architecture. We expect to see zero trust concepts to be addressed in the architecture's documentation. Time will tell what, to what extent the existing architecture guidance from DOD and NIST um, will be in, how it will be incorporated. Don't expect the CISA reference architecture to be done and final when it's released. This architecture and its documentation has, have actually been in process for a while. Uh, this started late last year, but it's doubtful that their result on August 12th will be a static document. It, it's expected that this will be just the first release with subsequent updates as the federal cloud security reference architecture needs to evolve and more lessons are learned. The reality is the EO is needed, but highly reactive. Um, one of the things that uh, we found with the EO was it had a purpose. Hopefully the items outlined in the EO will be followed up on and subsequent administrations will be able to assure steps being taken today will allow agencies to get into a proactive stance and finally off of their heels. Yeah, obviously that would be ideal, right? I think we've seen with, with recent attacks, especially as you look at how they've targeted the cloud and how they've been able to expose weaknesses in some of the cloud design to enable their efforts in exploiting the customer. I think uh, it, it, certainly, it certainly bodes well if we do put the right amount of effort and follow up into this to make sure we're being more proactive with how we're protecting our customers and ultimately our, our enterprises. Um, so, Sasadic, it seems the industry focus for in large part for zero trust has traditionally been on network access for remote users, applying contextual access to user and device connections prior to allowing access to applications or network segments, much in the way traditional NAC solutions have functioned. What appears to be missing from the traditional ZTNA approach, however, is putting data at the center. Last week, McAfee Enterprise announced they'll be entering the ZTNA space with Envision Private Access. Can you explain why Envision Private Access will be a game changer in the ZTNA market? Sure, Jason. I would say you're spot on with the traditional ZTNA approaches. In fact, you can look at the why and, and say that there was a significant opportunity to iterate on the traditional concepts of, of VPN, that access itself was a massive problem that needed to be solved, maybe particularly in this cloud and, and COVID world. It presented a tremendous opportunity for the vendors that were in the space, and it was also a tremendous pot of gold. It became all about access and optimization when the whole world was struggling with throughput and capacity and even performance and optimization, that the ability to publish application access became transformative because it, it optimized all of the other direct-to-cloud connections for those users while redirecting capacity or infrastructure spend to deliver greater cloud security. As a result of that, it's no wonder that the vendors focused first on access, which as you think about the subtext of your own question, it's the inherent fallacy, right? That the reason that we're taking on this more sophisticated approach is because of those zero trust principles that, that we must always verify 
not just the user, not just the device, not just the posture, not just the source, not just the context, and then bring that into continuous authentication. Why are we doing that in the first place? We're doing that for data access. So why will Envision Private Access be a game changer? Fundamentally, because it is not only built with an extremely mature and sophisticated data protection engine in the fabric of the solution from day zero, but that is merged and unified with the rest of our unified cloud edge. The same engines, the same policies, the same objects that apply to data protection concepts in private access and ZTNA apply for general web browsing and posting, upload, download, behaviors inside of cloud services. The entire framework of data protection becomes multi-vector. So agencies won't need to be implementing the same controls in different systems once in their web security for internet access, once in their cloud security for behavior of cloud services, once in their ZTNA for behavior of the private application access, those assets, you know, both front-end, middleware, back-end, the, the policy objects and the policies themselves become fully unified. And when you think about it, data protection is a user and a data problem the vector is almost irrelevant. And so when you have a feature gap between what different vectors can solve, or you have a reporting gap between what the different vectors are telling you, you introduce systemic level challenge. So Envision Private Access is fundamentally differentiated because of that unification from day zero. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I know one of the biggest challenges that I've, that when I have dealt with customers in the past one of them is actually quantifying their data, which is what we've uh, already talked about earlier on in this discussion. But the other is, okay, now that I've actually identified what it is, how do I effectively make sure that I'm, I've got my basis covered across multiple vectors? And if you've got to do that across multiple solutions, I can imagine the administrative and um, just the dysfunction that might create as you're trying to effectively control and respond to incidents in your environment. Think about it, Jason, whether it's an accidental issue from an employee's behavior or whether it's a, a malicious actor trying to exfil, if emailing it doesn't work, they'll go upload it. If uploading it doesn't work, they'll share it from a cloud service. If sharing it from a cloud service doesn't work, they'll try to tunnel it out in other ways. And if, if you've got disparate systems with disparate controls, you may not even have visibility to all of the vectors, much less a unified set of telemetry. Sure. Absolutely. So, you know, zero trust is obviously more than, you know, a single product requirement, right? It is an architecture and it's really a, you kind of hit the point there a second ago, it's a broader telemetry architecture that is, you know, providing persistent evaluation of both user uh, and entity trust. How will Envision Private Access integrate with the rest of the Mac portfolio to drive zero trust outcomes? So the short answer is that it falls into the Envision family of, of products. It is a unified product with a unified set of outcomes. So whether an agency consumes only Envision Private Access, they can take advantage of the strengths on data protection, or as they start to look at the, the rest of the architecture, you inherit the synergies. So how will it integrate? I would say integrate is probably the wrong word, Jason. Uh, integrate implies that it's something that has to be set up and maintained and Typically, when software vendors talk about integration, they're talking about work that their customers have to perform. I prefer the word convergence. The product is simply unified 
I'll say out of the box, although that's a terrible analogy for a cloud service. Uh, no, yeah, I appreciate that. So really, thank you guys both for your time today. That, that's really all the questions that I had. I, I feel like uh, it was a really great conversation, both from a capabilities understanding as well as you know what's, what's really driving a lot of the, the initiatives behind this executive order for our customers. So, um, you know, for those who have been listening to this and if you found it valuable, I, I'd like to encourage you to go and view the other entries that we've produced in this particular series. Uh, our next release is gonna focus on the release of CIS's federal cloud security strategy. So stay tuned for more information on that as I believe that's supposed to be released on August 12th. Uh, and we are recording this on August 11th. So other than that, everyone stay safe and thank you all very much for listening. And thank you both, again, Kent and, and Sadek, for your time today. Quite welcome. Thank you. I'd like to take the time to thank our speakers for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more, please visit www.mcafee.com slash public sector. If anyone has any follow-up questions, feel free to reach out to McAfee Marketing at Kerasoft.com. Thank you for listening in and have a great day.